Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tristram Shandy by Lawrence Stern is delightful. Written in 1760s, it's the wackiest novel you will ever read. Lawrence Stern, an Anglican priest himself, a job that requires you to be serious and stern does the opposite. He pokes fun of people, life, but most importantly, modernity or the age of rationality. So in this video, I'll summarize the novel and discuss some of its themes. But first, let me tell you a bit about Lawrence Stern himself. Lawrence Stern was born in 1713 in Ireland. Due to his father's military career, he lived in many different places as a child. In 1724, when Stern was 11, he was sent to live with his uncle in the north of England in a town of Halifax. He never saw his father again, as he was sent on a military assignment to Jamaica where he died of malaria. Stern attended Dublin University and later became an Anglican priest in the north of England, where he lived most of his life. In 1759, he began writing the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy, the gentleman, in nine volumes. And it took him years to complete it in 1767. He also campaigned for the abolition of slavery, which is also mentioned in this novel. Due to his illness, he traveled to France and Italy, which is depicted in this novel. He died in 1768 at the age of 54 at an inn in London, and his body was stolen and sold to Cambridge University Anatomist. This does sound like a scene from Tristram Shandy itself. Stern wrote many books, often satirical novels about the socio-political climate of his day. But he's known for one novel, The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, The Gentleman. Summary. The first thing you should know about Tristram Shandy is that Lawrence Stern was inspired by a few important books. Two works of fiction, Don Quixote by Cervantes, Gargantua and Pantagruel by François Rebelais, and a couple of philosophical books, especially John Locke's Treatise on Human Understanding. So Stern gathered these materials to concoct a new kind of Shandyesque cocktail or use them as a recipe to cook his own original dinner. Perhaps the most important influence on Stern was the French novel The Life of Gargantua and Pantagruel by François Rebelais, published in the mid-16th century and translated to English in 1690s, which I included in my top 20 French novels. Stern was born some 15 years later, so he grew up reading the wacky satirical French novel full of jokes, vulgar language and exaggeration. You see all those things in Tristram Shandy. It's also influenced by Cervantes' Don Quixote, which I discussed in a separate video. A more philosophical influence is John Locke's essay Concerning Human Understanding, published in 1690, which questions the adequacy of human knowledge that the rationalists proposed. The rationalists, like René Descartes, argued that we can understand the world simply by sitting in our own comfortable chair because we are rational beings. John Locke, however, belonged to the Empirist School of Philosophy, which explained that our understanding of the world comes from experience, not prior rationality. 
So Lawrence Stern gathered bits and pieces from Don Quixote, Gargantua, philosophical discussions to cook a new meal. His philosophy is pretty simple. Quote, I begin with writing the first sentence and trusting the Almighty God for the second. Tristram Shandy, loosely the main characters of the novel, narrates his own story. The novel is divided into nine volumes, each about 60 pages long. The chapters are pretty short. It has a loose plot which focuses on the life of the main character Tristram, but the bulk of the novel is about other things, thus it's a novel of digression. According to Italo Calvino, digression in a novel is a device to stretch time and delay death, or the end of the story so to speak. For example, Sherazade in 1001 Night delays the end of the story so she can live longer. Every night she ends her story without giving away its ending. Stern says, in a word, my work is digressive, it is progressive too, at the same time. There are two main plots in the novel. The first is Tristram Shandy's own life, from conception, his birth, schooling and later his travels and writing. The second plot involves his uncle, Toby, a war veteran injured in Europe and his pursuit of a widow and obsession with enacting a battle scene in his own backyard. Tristram Shandy's life is a series of accidents. Just remember that when Stern was writing this novel, European intellectuals believed that through science and reason they could understand and predict everything. So what Stern does in this novel is to tell us that life is nothing but a series of accidents and none of them of your own choosing. The novel begins with Tristram's conception. While his parents are copulating, his mother throws a random question asking her husband whether he has wound up the clock. Quote, Pray my dear, quote my mother, have you not forgot to wind up the clock? Good gee, cried my father, making an exclamation, but taking care to moderate his voice at the same time. Did ever woman since the creation of the world interrupt a man with such a silly question? Here we learn that Tristram's father, Walter Shandy, is a pseudo-intellectual, science-minded person who believes that by focusing his attention during sex, he can create a good, balanced baby. But unfortunately, his wife distracts him. So Tristram's life starts from a very shaky ground, all because his mother didn't pay attention during sex. Stern pokes fun at us human animals that during sex we are not conscious about making a baby. Quote, I wish my father or mother or indeed both of them as they were in duty both equally bound to it had minded what they were about when they begot me. Tristram's mother however was preoccupied with the clock or time. Tristram promises to tell us how he was born in the following chapters but he then gets distracted by other people. He tells us about how a clergyman named Yorick sponsored the midwife who helped his birth to get an education to help the village. Mr. Yorick is a joker, he doesn't take life too seriously but his death is marked in the novel with a blank page which is a brilliant storytelling device similar to the 11th century Japanese classic The Tale of Genji by Lady Murasaki. You could say this is the first visual or even cinematic novel that gives the reader a new kind of experience. Tristram tells us about his parents' marriage contract made by his mother that she should give birth in a London hospital, not in some rickety village midwifery. But as it turns out, this marriage stipulation, instead of helping Tristram's birth, causes the second accident in Tristram's life. First, his conception was ruined by his mother's question at an inappropriate time. Second, while coming through the birth canal, his nose gates flatten. Poor Tristram. Tristram's mother, in revenge for not being taken to a posh London hospital, decides to refuse the village doctor, Mr. Slope. Mr. Slope believes in modern science and rejects the traditional midwives. 
Christopher's mother, however, asks for a midwife. As it turns out, the cartoonish Mr. Slope, despite his belief in modern science, is superstitiously attached to his favorite chair, from which he falls down, an accident that ultimately results in Tristram's nose getting flattened at birth. Tristram talks about the importance of nose in life and society. There's a suggestion that nose here might be an innuendo for penis, but Tristram says no. The novel also tells us the story of a man with a huge nose who sends a whole city into frenzy, especially the nuns, which I assume it has some sexual connotation here. Despite Tristram's rejection that he's talking about nose, not penis, it's obvious that he thinks a man's nose size signifies somehow his penis size. A flat nose is not a good look for a man. The novel's highly suggestive with double meaning. For example, at the end of the novel we find this quote, Keyholes are the occasions of more sin and wickedness than all other holes in this world put together. In the light of Uncle Toby's groin injury, the crushed nose becomes even more significant. Before his famous birth, Tristram also tells us about his Uncle Toby, who was injured in the 1692 siege of Namur in modern-day Belgium. His injury is in the delicate place, in his groin, which turned him into a very humble, nice man, but also a man who fails to remember the battle correctly. Why? Tristram speculates that it's not his lack of memory, but lack of language. If you don't have the words, your memory fails anyway. This is a really interesting idea that our memory is always tied to language. This forgetfulness leads Uncle Toby to an obsession with maps. He ends up creating the entire battle scene in his backyard. A man is always obsessed to create something in order to attract a woman. Now the nose mishap at Tristram's birth forces his father to choose a grand name for his son to compensate for the child's unfortunate crashed nose. His father believes a decent sized nose was a must for a person to have a good life. So he names his son Trismegistus after a legendary Greek figure, Hermes Trismegistus. But once again due to a miscommunication with a servant girl, his son is named Tristram which basically means sorrowful. They try to rename him, but because of further mishaps preventing it, the name Tristram remains. Now his conception, his birth, and his naming all were a bunch of accidental mishaps. Nothing has gone according to his father's plan. His father's scientific or rational ideas did not help Tristram at all. Toby's obsession with his military replica is perhaps the closest to anything going according to plan in this novel. The storytelling is all over the place. That's the least of the problem here. Now, Walter Shandy's first plan to have a good conception was ruined by his wife's inappropriate question about the clock. His son's botched birth gave him a flat nose. His naming also turned out terrible. Now, the only thing he can do to give his son a good future is by giving him a solid education to compensate for all those shortcomings. But, as I expected, there's another accident in his nursery. The little Tristram has to pee, but his pot is missing, so the boy opens the window to pee outside. This is still a common practice among the drunk university students in England. As he's peeing, the window falls on his nose, no, I mean penis, and circumcises him. However, life goes on and Tristram grows up despite all the mishaps in his life. Tristram then jumps many years in the narrative to talk about his travels in Europe through France, a country that has terrible transport system as well as Italy. This mirrors Lawrence Stern's own journey to Europe. He enjoys his travels and becomes a travel writer. 
One thing that Tristram has promised from the very beginning of the novel is to tell us about his uncle Toby's love affair with a widow next door. But he keeps delaying it and delaying it. As a reader, you begin to question whether Uncle Toby is able to make love due to his groin injury in the war. Tristram plays with our curious mind and uses this mystery as a device to drag us along in his digressive journey. When Uncle Toby moves to countryside to set up his battle scene, he meets Widow Watman, a woman who advances towards him like an enemy army. The romantic dance between a man and a woman is like a battle, full of games, strategies, tactics, seductions and patience. In fact, Uncle Toby and his army buddy and servant, Trim, uses their battle tactics in pursuing the lady in question. In fact, their war enactment is described in parallel to Toby's advancement toward the widow. She too uses the old trick that works on all soldiers, or in fact on all men. One day she asks Uncle Toby for help, saying there's something in her eye. Uncle Toby rushes to help and notices her beautiful eyes. Now the widow has ensnared Uncle Toby even more. But they go back and forth as well as the narrative moves around. Finally we get to the last scene of them coming together to confess their love. The widow asks the question on everybody's mind, including we the reader, about the nature of Uncle Toby's injury and possible future children. She asks where is the injury exactly? Instead of pointing at his groin, Uncle Toby brings the map of Namur and points at the location where he was injured, which is really funny. It becomes clear that Uncle Toby's injury is the main concern as there is a rumor that he might be impotent. The widow doesn't get a clear answer so she ends the romance. The novel ends without Uncle Toby being able to succeed in his pursuit of the widow. However, he does succeed in his war sin. I guess he's the only gentleman in the novel, humble and very nice. However, being nice doesn't get him the woman he wants. Analysis As I discussed in my video on Cervantes' novel Don Quixote, the age of reason meant people were embracing modern scientific discoveries and rational thinking. However, Lawrence Stern, a religious priest himself, perhaps embraced modernity but also saw its shortcomings in explaining the human animal that we are. Despite all the scientific discoveries helping our lives, when it comes to important stuff we have no say, for example, in our conception and birth. Once we're born we don't really walk on a clear path, instead we tumble, drift, meander in time and space, and somehow make it to an adult like a drunk person going home from the pub. The novel's style of writing mimics how we live, full of digression and destructions. But life's accidents continue to shape, lead and determine our future. Modern science and reason promise predictability, but Stern in this novel celebrates and laughs at life's unpredictability and chaos. That little accidents beyond our own control have huge consequences in our lives. People want a safer, more comfortable and predictable life, but they end up living a more improvised life. No matter how much we plan our lives, a small storm or surprise can derail things for us. Today we are meant to plan and control our lives, which adds to our sense of anxiety and distress. The only world where you don't want interruptions to your plan is when you're telling a story. Quote, now there's nothing in this world I abominate worse than to be interrupted in a story. Lawrence Stern was a critique of Robert Burton's Anatomy of Melancholy, a book promoting the idea that being ignorant is better than being educated. Stern's issue with the book was that Burton relied on numerous quotations to prove a point. Instead of saying what he believed, he provided you with tons of ideas from other people to support his argument. Like a scientific paper that has more citations than substance. 
Stern makes fun of the over-the-top academic, bookish or learned type people. Don Quixote read a lot of chivalric romances, while Tristram's father read a lot of science theories. So Stern pokes fun at the academic and formal type people. He says, quote, I am persuaded of it, madam, as much as can be, that both man and woman bear pain or sorrow, and for aught I know, pleasure too, best in a horizontal position. Irish Mischievism Lawrence Stern wrote the novel in England, but he was born in Ireland. You can find the same kind of Irish mischief among modern writers like James Joyce. Irish literature is one of two extremes. On the one hand, we have what's called Irish miserabilism, novels about the miserable lives of people on the island, be it because of the English colonialism or Catholic Church. However, in Tristram Shandy, as well as in Joyce's Ulysses, we see the other extreme taking the piss of everything sacred or important. The whole thing is a joke, a botched book, a botched life, a botched writer. This novel celebrates that Irish mischief. Again, it has to do perhaps with the church being a stern ruler over the Irish people for centuries, so you need a venue to express yourself. Irish people are known for their huge repertoire of swear words. Tristram Shandy is about sex, birth, penis and nose. This is remarkable for a novel so postmodern written more than 250 years ago. Machado de Assis' posthumous memoirs of Proscu was published in the 1880s is a masterpiece of Brazilian literature that was influenced by Tristram Shandy. A while back I discussed a novel about a man who writes his autobiography after his own death. It too has short chapters full of funny and ironic scenes. Tristram Shandy is a delightful novel that celebrates life through laughter. Life's Digression why would I digress? As Italo Calvino said, digression slows time and delays death. Life has no meaning. Instead of despair, we digress every day, every moment, by distracting ourselves with something, work, entertainment, friends, drink or food. Animals in the wild do it better than humans. Digression allows us to get out of our head and be in the moment. Instead of arriving at your destination or reaching a point or understanding something completely, we delay the process. Maybe in life we are meant to focus on the process, not the outcome. Maybe life is not about reaching somewhere, life is meant to be here and now. Tristram's father always worried about his son's future. Despite his best effort, his son's life was nothing but a series of botched accidents, which he desperately tried to prevent, but failed. Tristram Shandy's life is a perfect metaphor for our life. No matter how much we plan things, accidents tend to rule our lives. And instead of going in a straight line, we meander in life. Quote, Digressions, incontestably, are the sunshine. They are the life, the soul of reading. Take them out of this book, for instance. You might as well take the book along with them. So the message is, life is meant to be digressive. Laugh at every moment of it, even if it's tragic. Thank you for watching.